everyone. Welcome back to Authors on the Air. My guest today is Thomas Costigan. Thomas wrote probably the coolest book I've read in a long, long time with his friend, Robert Downey Jr., who's not with us. Don't get, you know, calm down. Thomas is going to tell us everything we need to do. Hi, Thomas. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to have you here. The book is called Cool Food and Erasing Your Carbon, Carbon Footprint, One Print at a Time, One Bite at a Time. It is a fascinating book. Um, I know that you're very active in um, the in environmental issues, the in, uh, ecology. Um, what, I, you're a New York Times bestselling author who's written extensively about this. You are such an advocate and um, you try to raise awareness all the time. Tell me a little bit about your background and how this issue became yours to grab onto. Sure. Uh, well, thanks again for having me. We My uh, appreciate Robert and I appreciate all of the good talk that you've been giving. And um, it's uh, appreciative that you're calling it a cool book because we put it right in the title to make it easy for people. Oh, this book is being gifted to my friends many times over. It is such a fabulous book. Uh, well, to tell you, I've had it for a week and I've read it three times. Wow. Amazing. Thank you so much. That's that's. Uh... <laughs> Quite something, especially with your, I'm sure, menu of books in front of you and how many you have to read. So thank you. I don't um, have to read them, but I do read them. And this this one's right at the top. I love to cook and we'll talk about that. But I want to hear about you first. That's the most important thing. Sure. Um, well, I've been a journalist for decades now, um, right out of school and into daily newspaper work and then went down to D.C. and covered a lot of government agencies and Congress for some wire services, and then ended up in New York uh, writing for magazines and then started to do more long form type of writing. And it got me into some documentary work that brought me over to Ethiopia and some places that were, you know, really rural and impoverished. And um, I was revisiting a lot of the, if you remember back then, the We Are the World campaign, yes. which was you know, it was designed to help people in need. And there's a, uh, a quick story that I'll tell you about The Color Purple, which is the, not the book or the movie, but the literal color purple. And um, I was in Ethiopia and there was this little purple dot on the horizon and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And we had been in country for a while and uh, my translator was there and the purple dot turned out to be about a 10 year old girl in a purple dress who came up to about my waist and she asked something and my translator was about to say something to me. And because we had been there for a minute, I said, how much? Just completely jaded, cold Westerner. And he said, hold on a second. And he had a conversation with her and it turns out that she wanted a pencil and she wanted a pencil so she could do some homework. They had more of a conversation. She wanted to do well in school and become a doctor and help other people in her village. And right there, it just was this whoa, huge yeah. awakening, huge light bulb moment that if I could provide someone with a pencil and the ripple effect that that might have, that was so awakening to me again that I decided to take that pencil and make it a proverbial pencil proverbial pencil in what I do and looking at all, you know, I'm a writer. How can I do things that can actually help 
other people that can be more solutions oriented. And so I decided to do something on, you know, what I had seen there uh, besides the documentary work, but also on the environmental and the environs that I had seen and how, you know, um, how in need people were because they didn't have food, because they didn't have water, because of a lot of environmental issues. So I wrote a book called The Green Book, and it happened to come out in 2007, um, right after An Inconvenient Truth was in theaters. And wow. everyone was walking out of the theater. If you remember that documentary by Al Gore, you walked out of the theater and you probably, like I said, oh my God, now what? Um, well, I had the answer with The Green Book. And it provided hundreds of solutions for what you could do in your everyday life to help the planet. And it started me on this path of prescriptive, positive solutions that people can embrace to really shift the discussion. Not an academic treatise by any means, nothing that's, you know, the speaking and jargon, nothing that is so obtuse or costly, just simple things. And so that evolved over time. And I, you know, eventually was a columnist for USA Today and for Discover Magazine and did books for National Geographic and wrote for them and blah, blah, blah. And then um, I wrote a book called Hacking Planet Earth about technology solutions that can change things in the right here and right now. Things like, you know, capturing water from air or uh, being able to stop glacial melt by new technologies that scientists have developed. And Downey read it, and we had known each other. And he said, let's do a project together on this. So through that, and that was a television uh, project, and through those discussions and those meetings and lots of time together, we said, well, why don't we, in the meantime, do a book that's very accessible, that people can embrace, that does all the things that you and I kind of want to do, uh, make it creative, make it fun, make it po positive, make it prescriptive, and make it easy indigestible, no pun intended. And so we ended up ideating over that and we came up with this thesis and lo and behold, on bookshelves as of Tuesday, 123.24 is cool food. I have to say, um, if your goal was to inform, but not to teach, just to inform, because a lot of people don't like to be taught. taught. That's right. This is so informative. You both weave your own experience, your personal experiences into the book, and it's practical and it makes sense to me. And as someone who has tried to or is even lessening now my carbon footprint, I'm downsizing from where I live to even a smaller place. Mm -hmm. I am selective about where I go and buy my food. All things I want to talk to you about because they're very, very important. But if you don't mind, I have... I have bookmarked some specific chapters, and that Ooh. is um, you started off with whole grain. And I'm, I'm going to just so you see what the book looks like. This is not just pages and pages of words. Uh, there's highlights in here. There's uh, really interesting little side notes and personal experiences from 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 Thomas and Robert, which is very nice. So. I was really fascinated by the fact that you talked about ancient grains. I am okay, occasionally when I'm in the grain section of a regular grocery store, there's no such thing as ancient grains. <laughs> it's packaged food. There's not anything anywhere looking like amaranth, barley, buckwheat, bulgur, corn, einkorn. 
interesting, pharaoh, phonio, freak out, um, all of these different type of things. Yes, there's quinoa, there's rice, there, there is buckwheat, there is barley, but I think these are manufactured food products that are in typical grocery stores. If I wanted to go and find all this, where do I look then? Yep. I live across the street from a Whole Foods. The store is horrible. I don't like it at all. Yep. It's dirty. It's messy. They're out of stock all the time. There mm -hmm. are a couple other Whole Food places like that I will go, and I do go to farmer's markets. It's very hard to find this food. And if yep. you want to live this way, if you want to live leaving a very small carbon footprint with your food, where does one go? to practically and economically find these foods? Yep. So great question. It ties into so many things, and that's why I'm happy you asked that one first, is you know, there were three foods that the majority of the global population eat, and that's rice, wheat, and corn. Right. And those are all ultra-processed in some way, shape, or form for the most part. So when you go into the grocery store, to your point, there's typically on the average grocery store about 80 different varieties of vegetables or grains and those types of things at best. There's about, you know, more than 10,000 edible plants on the, the planet that we could use. So we have a very limited, you know, menu that we can choose from. So number one is ask for it at the grocery store. And we said, yeah, no one really pays attention to that. And then when we spoke to food executives, that's why kale is so popular. That's why cauliflower is so popular. They do pay attention. So that's what we're trying to promote is do speak up. Do okay. go onto social media. Do ask for it. And they will deliver. And we took it not just from the store itself, but to distribution centers, to farmers. They all listen to demand. So it's really, really interesting to hear that. That was a really interesting point for us. Yes. Secondly. Um, online, there is a myth out there about delivery services that they have such a major carbon footprint. But if you were to compare, you're, you're going back and forth to the store, again, in a car for the average person to get their groceries and have it delivered versus a bulk delivery to your house once that is divided up by your neighborhood, for example, if you give That's a wider, wider window because they can deliver more packages. So don't be so specific, more packages in a you know, bigger period of time. Then you've reduced the carbon footprint on your delivery. And that's why it's really important to support our farmers, especially in smallholder farms, who usually have you know, more organic, better regenerative farming practices on average. And they all are now looking at farmer co-ops. Um, there's now new uh, hubs as well. Virtual farmers markets are really, really booming. Big, big business. So you don't just have to go on a Sunday or that one day a week that you get right. Now right. In, your, in, your, in your neighborhood. Now, in order to encourage more you know, demand from different farmers around you know, the, the country, we're able to then source from different places. And interestingly, artificial intelligence can now really refine that. And it's a real benefit for a lot of farmers and a lot of delivery services because they're able to then manage the distribution. And it right. helps the logistics of it all you're talking about to make it more efficient. 
Correct. And it helps okay. with food waste. So I want to talk to you about that too, because that's a really big one, but I want to back up to something you said about grocery stores. And you said there are about 80, 80 varieties of vegetables, of vegetables and grain. I find that there's even less than that. When I go into a grocery store, if I'm lucky, if now I live right next to one of the big grocery stores in the South, mm. um, they have your typical bananas, mm -hmm. not the plain old yellow bananas, you know, God bless Del Monte, but that's what they have. And yeah. maybe they have lady fingers, which all, yeah. which grow very well here in South Florida. Bananas do really well. I actually went to a banana farm when I was younger with my mom and they had like 50 varieties of bananas. It was amazing. You just can't find them. It's a fascinating it's, story. If you go down the rabbit hole of bananas, it is, I spoke at the, um, the American Library Association has an author speak. And I spoke at the association, the annual association meeting there. And the gent before me spoke about, had a book out about bananas. And I was thinking to myself, that's a really strange book. And then when he gave the talk, it was fascinating. Fascinating, yeah. Many different types of bananas there bananas. were over exactly. time, and then eventually we're down to one. Down to one kind, exactly. Same way with mangoes. There are a variety of mangoes. I know because when I lived in Miami, I'd go to Fairchild Tropical Garden, and they would have their annual mango fest and have a good 50 varieties to sample of mangoes. In my own yard, I drew two. Uh, grew two different kinds. Yeah. So I know those, and I know you're a fan of mangoes too, mm -hmm. as well as dates and blueberries. I, I, I write that down. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to you a little bit more um, about some of the things that you, that are discussed in the book. You talk a lot about edible shrubs. So I would be scared to death of eating a shrub simply because I don't know what it's been sprayed with. I can't really identify it. Although I have heard about urban foragers for yeah. plants and, and grasses and things like that. I don't know if I'm that brave to do that. And I live in an apartment, so it's not like I can, you know, I can't go outside and pick stuff. When we were a yeah. kid, we, we picked Suriname cherries off the cherry tree, the hedges that grew along our, our yeah. house. Yeah, I bet you that's before <laughs> pesticides, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, what's interesting about that is that there is actually, if you go online, the botanists of the country have gotten together and they're putting together almost uh, like this online database and encyclopedia of different lichened, wild types of vegetables that can replace one another. And so I was at the... Um, you know, the the uh, in the Bronx, I was with one of the 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 gardens there. They have um, an, in, a resident botanist who's one of the leading botanists in the world, and he's in the book. And he talks about the different types of foods that are right in your backyard that can replace spinach, that can replace kale, that can replace all these things. And you know, it's it's really educating. I'm not advocating that someone goes out and pick berries because that could go wrong in a lot of right. different ways. But there are resources out there now that you can use to say, okay, what are some different things that may replace, you know, for example, alfalfa sprouts, which are very water intensive. But watercress, on the other hand, is wildly grown, super nutrient, it's the most nutrient vegetable that we have on earth. And it holds the soil in place so that we can keep carbon 
in our shorelines, which is where a lot of peat rests as well, and where it holds a lot of carbon, you know, from the from getting out into the atmosphere. So super important. And you're starting to see more and more stories come out on these different alternatives. You know, the New York Times yes. has been running a series, if you've been noticing, on you know really intensive types of proteins like lentils, which pack more of a protein punch than beef. We're going to talk about lentils too. I have that. I have that one bookmarked also. Just, just so you know, because that's my one of my favorite things to eat. But I want to backtrack a little bit because one of the things you did was you gave a little guide to how to read barcodes on on fruit and vegetables. Um, you call them PLU codes, which is price lookup code. I, we call them barcodes. Um, I I did not know that five digits beginning with a nine means your your produce has been grown organically. Right. Now I want to skip forward because then you also give a little guide to, um, let me find it. It's here. The misleading labels, free range, fresh, pasture raised and natural, natural raised. They're all different. They all mean different things. Is there a standardized agricultural label that will tell us exactly what it is we're getting. So how do I know if something's pasture raised, it's not fed hormones, it mm -hmm. gets to run around more yeah. than one hour a day, it actually is raised in a pasture, that it's free range, but not for only a short period. It's so confusing. And it's yeah. I, I see so many of these things, especially for chicken, obviously, you know, mislabeled or misleading, I should say. How do we know what's the truth? Yeah, those are all marketing labels. So there's ah. really, yeah, so those are mostly like free range and all that very limited types of requirements for any of that. Uh, the New Yorker did a fascinating piece even on organics and the certified organic uh, industry <laughs> and what constitutes that. And um, you okay? Yeah. So what constitutes that? And it's really a lot of homework and a lot of like investigation because some of these things really don't add up to much unless you're talking about baby food, for example, with expiration dates. And when it comes to things like, um, you know, bird friendly types of uh, forestry, those have regulations certified, you know, you know, FSC type of um, certifications for forests. But when it comes to food, it's very, very difficult to know what is the marketing and what is, you know, really just a certified organic. If you do go for certified organic, if it says certified organic, that is true. That is a federal label. And that is something that, okay. you know, you can, you can lean on. But the rest of it, I think, as we say in the book, you have to be very, very skeptical and do your homework. on so. I read, um, I think, last year that there was a little study done on, on chickens that are raised on a farm and someone who said, I'm going to raise my own chickens organically. I'm not going to give them uh, hormones. I'm going to give them the best grain they can get, so on and so forth. Thinking that it would be more sanitary and healthier for raised chickens like that. And it turned out it was not because it was just a one guy thing. And that may have been it. He may not have had the resources, but apparently he found out his chickens got sick as often as the farmed chickens. 
So I thought that was really interesting. You were right. We have to look for certified organic, which is the government label, correct? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Government okay. labels have some teeth to them. Everything they else. Okay. I'm also, I want to talk to you about nuts, seeds, mm. and lentils, even though they're not in the same group. Nuts and seeds maybe, but lentils are not. Um, I've, I try to keep um, away from red meat. Uh, I yeah. find it's too hard on my body, especially as I age. Um, I do like lentils quite a bit. And I like to go to the farmer's market and pick up lentils. But again, there's not a big, it's not a big variety. That's um, why we're, we're advocating. We're trying to get people to be aware of this, create the demand, because we feel like if we can create the demand, then the supply will start to change and we'll be able to have the, you know, more of these conversations with different varieties, things that have gone out of, you know, out of fashion for whatever reason um, and mm -hmm. have been replaced, could be, you know, that, that get replaced by others. Um, and that's, that's really just something that we're, I think a lot of people now are starting to shift their, their attitudes on that. People want to eat healthy. They want to do the yes. right thing. They're getting great feedback. So I think that's why this book fits a really good niche because I think, you know, most people want to just know they're doing the right thing without having to, you know, make their own tofu. Right. <laughs> they right. just know they're doing the right thing. So right. That's, that's so I want to ask you about seeds. Do Are seeds typically organic are they typically manufactured? I don't mean something that comes in a jar, you know, mm -hmm. nothing that planters is doing, unless they specifically put out a, a foil bag saying this is an all natural. Do they typically say it's organic? Well, what you what you'll hear is that all seeds are genetically modified. You you you'll hear that out there because over time that's what's happened to our farming system that you know we've just you know, influence the soil to the extent that everything has been touched by human hands. At yeah. some point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they've been bred, um, which, you know, you could say the same thing about soil and farming. You know, there's, so this is, we're kind of, you know, digging up the soil for our own purposes. So the thing about seeds are, again, you have to, to look at where they came from. And, that, and that's the biggest thing. So if you can, where did they come from? And then understanding what that environment is, you know, okay. if, you know, that's, that's probably the best thing to do, but there's so many different varieties of seeds out there. Yes, yes. It's very, very difficult. Most of them are just, you know, kind of organic by nature. They don't have a lot of carbon storage to them at all. Okay. Okay. But the thing is they have a low carbon footprint because obviously very easy to, you know, produce into, okay. you know, send out. So it's not like okay. you're using a lot of resources for seeds. I want to, I know we're almost out of time and darn, I wish I had you for another half hour because I have so many questions. I think one of the most important things you talked about today was food waste. Mm -hmm. um, I often watch parents with their kids going through a grocery store and the baskets piled on with processed food and just a little bit of, of fruit and vegetable. I, I grew up loving fruit and vegetable. I, I grew up with three brothers and my mom would buy grapes or something and we would fight over grapes. So she would count each grape and make sure there were four bags, even with grapes. <laughs> Same with slices of oranges and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I was the oldest and the only girl. If I didn't rush to the table, I starved, you know? So. Mm. 
It's a good. Hey, I'm the youngest of nine, so I had a bigger fight in my hands. Oh my god, I imagine. But but my mom was very practical about stuff like that. My mom did not waste anything. She would go to the store every day if she had to. And I don't remember us ever having soda as a kid. I don't remember us ever having sweets unless my mom made it from scratch. We waste an incredible amount of food, not only personally, but stores and everyone. It seems like everybody's got a a dumpster in back and they're throwing so much stuff away. Thomas, how do we turn that trend around? Plan. You know, if, if anyone's ever been on a diet plan, and we don't have a diet plan, we're just saying this is a different category. But if you've ever been on a diet plan or you've been, you know, in some type of health regime uh, regimen, you understand that you have to kind of be more aware of what you're eating. Correct. And you're conscious about it. And you may portion things, or you maybe you're counting calories, but at least you're aware of what you're putting in your body. Yes. If you're not doing that, you're not counting your meals, you're not counting your calories, you don't, you know, you're just buying things and consuming it. And so the consciousness goes away. And so that's the problem is, you know, what are you actually going to have for a week? So plan for a week if you can, because then you start to plan out your meals. Think about the leftovers. And then the storage plan is also something that, you know, we could be much more aware of you know, store your food properly and it's good again. You know, that goes back to the expiration dates. Just because it says it's expired doesn't technically mean by government standards that the food has gone bad. So right. you have to, you know, sniff it or taste it or, you know, be reasonable about it. Sure. Um, well, that's, that's a big one. So each and every one of us in the United States wastes about a pound of food uh, every single day. It's the biggest source of waste at landfills. And, you know, by the time you add it all up, we're wasting more than a third of the food that we buy for our homes, about 50% of the food at restaurants. Um, so there, there's this myth that you can't donate your food to food banks. And we have, you know, a really big problem in the United States of hunger. And often we skip over that. But, you know, there's a there's a, a big hunger issue going on now, especially yes. with food inflation and people can't eat. And food banks can't accept donations. In 1996, there was a Bill Emerson Samaritan Act that protected people from liability for donating food. So you can donate to, you know, food banks that, you know, it's food that you just yes. haven't touched or haven't eaten and you just want to, you know, you're not going to. Maybe you're going away and you want to donate that. You can. So look up food banks. It's a huge thing. Ample Harvest. Ampleharvest.org is a huge one. And, you know, there's a food waste day, I think, every September uh, that the USDA. There is in December down here because uh, the Harry Chapin Food Bank serves three of our counties, eight, maybe even five. So it's huge. It's huge. I just, I just don't buy. I go to the grocery store. I walk over there. Everybody knows me. I buy what I need for a day or two, and that's it. It's a good exercise. It's fresh food. I'm not buying stuff that comes in a box or a can. Yeah. So for, for me, because then you have to throw away that other stuff. Correct. And yeah. I don't want to throw away boxes and cans, yeah. you know. So um, meal kits are also I'm a sorry? big meal kits. So prepared, you know, prepared meal kits that you have you know, sent to your house. I wasn't a believer. I got them gifted to me. 
and I have to tell you, delicious and about 30% less carbon footprint and it plans out your meals for the week and the portions right. are right. And, you know, all in recycled packaging. So I can't speak. I hear about some that. of those are really, really good. I just happen to like to cook. So I'm not going to start that. What's, what's your final word? What's the most important thing our audience needs to know about cool food um, written by you and Robert Downey Jr.? First of all, mm -hmm. go buy the book. It's by Blackstone. It's amazing. It just released this week. I cannot recommend it highly enough. And you guys know I do um, uh, recipes all the time. I love this book. It, it There are some recipes in here. They're easy to make. You don't have to be a gourmet to do this. You, you don't even have to be a foodie. They're just some really good recipes. Thomas, what's the last word? What's the most important thing for the audience to know? Yeah. Buy, if you can, buy fresh, buy in season. Know where your food comes from. And seasonality is something that we often don't think about because we have these giant refrigerations, we have you know units, we have canned foods, but really try to buy fresh and in season whole foods like we talked about in the beginning. And that will go a long way toward you know creating this demand that will increase the supply of more types of foods that we can all eat for ourselves and for the planet. Which foods store the best for the longest, like seeds, Lentils, what else? Mm -hmm. uh, nuts like cashews, um, apples are great because of orchids, you know, those types of things. Anything that comes from a, a, a perennial type of plant. So you don't have to dig it up, toss it, reseed, you know, and re, okay. re, you know, refarm the next season. Those are the best ones. So perpetual spinach, all those things are just great for the, for the planet and great for and health. Planting, uh Complementary crops is very important, isn't it? So that you, so that you're turning up the soil, you're releasing the carbon goes into the soil. It doesn't come out. That's the whole idea of this book. Yeah. Um, I want to thank you, Thomas. I, I loved having you here, but I, I wish you would come back and talk to me for some more <laughs> because this is so fascinating to me. I cannot recommend the book highly enough. It's Cool Food by Thomas Cost. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Cost again and Robert Downey Jr. And I put Thomas's name first because he's here and it's a great book. Um, go look up Thomas on his website if you want some more information. It's www.thomascostigan.com. You can find his book on Amazon or in any brick and mortar store or wherever you like to buy your books. Um, it is available now. I, I think you're going to really enjoy it. Thanks so much for being with me, Thomas. And thank you, audience. I'll see you next time. Thanks again.